Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Vodka Clock Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Love. And uh, if you are not aware, the show and the website, amberunmasked.com, are sponsored by the wonderful people over at Patreon who back and support my work. You can even share the links if that's what you're able to do. You would go to patreon.com slash amberunmasked. And you also get weekly cat stories before anyone else when you uh, subscribed to support me that way. And they're really fun stories about my cats and the discoveries that we make in our area with a whole lot of fantastical exaggeration, of course, included. So joining me back today is Jeremy Holt. He's an old friend and we're going to get into some comics talk. So if you don't know Jeremy, um, then this will be a great introduction for you. Jeremy's a non-binary author whose most recent works include Virtually Yours, Before Houdini, After Houdini, and Skip to the End. <laughs> That's so great. Um, so they graduated with a BFA in sound design from SCAD. And that was back in 2005, lived in Brooklyn, and is now in Vermont. So, um, Jeremy, thanks for coming back on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's definitely been a while. It has. It has. Um, I'm, I'm so glad that we stay connected, though. I I loved hearing that one of your original Houdini pages is actually on display. And it's it like in its the permanent collection for the Houdini Museum. I think that's so awesome. Yeah, that was uh, quite an awesome experience. It was uh, for the launch the book launch for After Houdini, um, and I have to give credit to my publisher, um, Inside Comics, for arranging that. And it was a really magical, literally magical event where everybody working the event are magicians. So, like, whether they were oh, bartending wow. or doing magic tricks or illusions, all of them were magicians. And um, yeah, they uh, really wanted a page from the book, and they had it beautifully, beautifully framed. And uh, yeah, it's it's hanging there now, which is pretty rad. That is so cool. That's extremely cool. Um, do you have a favorite uh, Houdini like um, products or thing that's come out since then? Because there's been a couple different TV shows and um, movies and things. Do you, do you have anything that really said, yeah, okay, I think they did a good job here? Um, not, not particularly, not that, not, not anything that's coming to mind. Um, yeah, I did watch that two part series with Adrian Brody as Houdini, mm -hmm. which was pretty good. It just, I'm, I'm a stickler for like, uh, accuracy and, and Brody was just physically not the same type body type. Like right. it didn't even really look like him, which I guess I can forgive, but the height was a real problem like he was a he wasn't a very tall person um but honestly the the thing i enjoy most is just following um this person john cox on um twitter and he's like a houdini buff uh and he will tweet pretty regularly about houdini factoids and and um he was really great to talk to for a bit about when i was doing my research that's cool yeah, I've I've watched some of the the shows and stuff. I did see that Adrian Brody one. Um I liked the the newer ones um that came out even though it got really weird and um 
um, what was it, Houdini and Doyle? Oh um, yeah, right. That police procedural. That was a. Yeah. It, it was very. It was very strange. And tonally, it was strange. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and but mostly we're we're here together today to t- to talk about virtually yours and I can gush about it because this has been one of my favorite things to read all year so I'm really really oh, wow. glad it, glad that you let me have that opportunity to check it out. Um, so this is a comicsology original and it's about Max and Eva. Am, is it Eva or Ava? <laughs> Everybody asks this. I think. It's, oh, okay. I think it's uh eva because I, okay. I think ava would be ava ava yeah so it's eva yeah. I think. yeah okay um and and what's great about this is they have this whole support system of friends and um it's really gracefully worked into the plot that they have support systems around them in a, in a way that it it felt like this strong web that didn't have to be very in your face. Like it, it didn't, you know, with maybe because I read so much younger stuff, it's like very emphasized that like, Oh, we're friends and this is what friends do. But, um, <laughs> you know, like when you're, you're reading something that's actually like for grownups, it's just kind of part of the plot. Um, so I love that it's, you know, this romantic comedy and like up there with the, the best and, and favorite Nora Ephron films. So, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, um, so the team uh, that you have on this, I, I do want to make sure that we talk about them as well. Elizabeth Beals on art and Adam Wallet on letters. And it was, I'm, I'm totally going to need some time to gush about Elizabeth Beals artwork. <laughs> it's, yeah, uh, she, I, I've known her for a while. Um, and I'd seen her work and, and this is actually the first like full complete book she's ever done. Um, and to tell a rom-com, especially a modern one, um, a really big component that I think will needed to be there to ground the audience in, in the reality we were creating is that everything had to look very contemporary, very up to date. And she did not skimp on a single detail. Like I, I gave fashion references for the four main well actually just the two main characters and i gave photo references of the four like the two main characters and their best friends but that was about it um so she had to take into account what everybody was wearing it the the story takes place over a few different seasons so she had to kind of um address that and and she just uh yeah i mean sometimes i'll I'll just flip through that book and, and look at just the background characters like wow look at look at that person they're like in a cool that's, little outfit and that dog that dog is so cute <laughs> yeah that's exactly the type of stuff that when I went through it for a second time I got to you know take more time and appreciate because at first I'm, I was just like wow these lines are so clean and they're crisp they're not thick and bold um, you know if I read a lot of crime stuff or there's usually like big dark shadows everywhere and big thick lines. So this was so different and bright. And the color palette was, I would say, really neutral. And then 
only things that needed specific attention got colored a little bit brighter, you know, like, um, like Eva's leggings or something that was really cool. But I, I did love the crowds, just the different, like you said, just different people. There were just a lot of ethnic diversity. I wasn't sure if you scripted that specifically. No, I mean, like we both are on the same page about, uh, you know, um, good representation of that kind of stuff. So, um, and we, we talked about it and I specifically wanted to have this story focus on, on uh, people of color. Um, and obviously the one white person in, in the book is not exactly the most favorable character, which was intentional. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. And um, also body types, hairstyles, everything like Elizabeth really nailed this. Yeah, for sure. And and that's the other thing was like also body inclus- inclusivity, like, we didn't want to, and she's not the type of artist that draws, you know, these perfect looking people. And she certainly can, but um, we really wanted to, again, make it feel real. Like most people don't look like, you know, uh, models in, you know, the, the magazine. So. Yeah, it was, it, it felt really good to read. Um, and I just, that's why I, I immediately said, oh, this is going to be on my, my top list because it's, it, when you can tell characters apart, regardless of, of if the page is colored in or not, it makes a big mm-hmm. difference, sure. um, you know, like hairstyles and everything. And, and that was one of the things that when you draw a character that's based more on what a real person looks like, you could do things like Elizabeth had Eva's hair change from scene to scene and you still knew it was Eva, like, yeah. you know. Whereas if you, if somebody else were to draw a particular character, like, you know, like a superhero character, unless you know the costume well, you know, if you were to put them in, in street clothes and have them next to another superhero in street clothes, they look exactly the same. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. She, she poured over those details and um, something that, that I was very um, conscious of that I, I had a lot of fun with was recreating or reviving a part of a version of Brooklyn that I, I miss. Um, so there are specific locations that were uh, pr- uh, principal locations in the story that don't exist anymore in reality. Um, so most notably would be uh, Bergen Street Comics in Prospect Heights, Brooklyn, and a, um, a second location for Beauty Bar that was in Park Slope. Uh, the main location is, is in Union Square, but... Um, when I told her about this and I, and I pointed out where these locations physically were in the year that I lived there, she actually showed me later a map she had printed out and literally had figured out walking paths, all the type of walking paths that both characters would do, mainly Max because he lived in that area, but the walking paths he'd do to catch a cab, to go to the comic book shop, to go to the bar, like she kind of had to visually figure it all out and do that um, mental math, which was very impressive. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I I recognized Bergen Street right away before even noticing the sign, um, because it, it if it, like if you'd ever seen it in person, it stands out. It was you know like that part of Brooklyn is just you know was really charming, and um, I didn't know Beauty Bar was real though, so that's cool. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Two things about that was really cool is that um, I got to reach out to, or I, I did reach out to. Um, Tom Adams, who was one of the, was the owner of Bourbon Street, and um, he was really delighted to see that it had come back in comic form. 
Um, and I have a friend I found out later after I'd finished working on the book, uh, works at beauty bar and she obviously knows the owner. And she said, you know, as soon as it comes out, let me know because, uh, the owner loves this kind of stuff. When any, anybody references Beauty Bar in any way, he's delighted. So that was really nice to hear. <laughs> it is. It must be really cool. Um, so there's, and there are some other real things that I want to uh, I want to touch on. But let's first uh, dive back into who these main characters are and what brings them together, um, because it's you know maybe it just seemed like such a very New York kind of thing i suppose it could be a los angeles kind of thing also but um it just felt really new york um yeah, we have yeah. max yep. you know so tell me about max uh, yeah so um th- part of the story does take place in la uh, very briefly as far as where they where max and his uh wife move from um but max is basically in my mind, he's he's a Macaulay Culkin type person. He he was in a very very famous holiday movie as a young person, and has since lived off the residuals, but has not had the best upbringing. Uh, has been very much alone in his life, uh, in good ways and bad. Um, and he eventually uh, moves back to Brooklyn, where he's from, uh, because his wife takes a job there. Um, and he's just been living off the, the residuals, so he's independently wealthy. Uh, but it, because of that, it's it's a nice lifestyle to have, but he's very directionless. So on, in contrast, Ava, or sorry, Eva, <laughs> Eva mm-hmm. is um, finished uh, journalism school. She has aspirations to become, you know, the, like a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, uh, but she can't find a job. And she's getting very discouraged. And... Um, she's also not interested in being in a relationship. She's not interested in having to do any of that. And she's getting constantly inundated by like inquiries from her mother about, you know, her dating life. And she lives at home, which is frustrating for her because her her mom is constantly getting on her case about it. And uh, two things happen for Eva. So her best friend, Katie mentions uh, a contact that she has that, might help her with a job, which is working at this magazine, uh, which she has no real interest in, but, you know, beggars can't be choosers. So that is one aspect. And then the other is that her younger sister, who is, you know, happily married, very pregnant, uh, sees what's going on for Eva and wants to help and has heard about this dating site that allows you to have all the proof of being in a relationship without actually being in one. And she, her sister is convinced that this is a could be a great way to get their mother off her, off Eva's back. And um, yeah, and that's just, and then uh, not much of a spoiler here, but uh, um, Max wants to kind of find direction in his life. And he comes across this, this uh, dating app and decides he wants to try to work for the company because he realizes maybe he can, by helping other people, he might maybe learn a bit about himself. What I liked about that was that Max is essentially still being an actor. It's just that he's an actor from behind a keyboard. Exactly. He still gets to be a fake boyfriend to multiple people. <laughs> yep, yep. That was uh, that was designed intentionally. Uh, it took me a while to kind of... I actually didn't really ever consider him working for the company. That, that was many drafts later that I considered it because it, it really tied the story together 
at least some of the plot elements where we could, you know, maintain a focus on the app um, because that is a lot of really the driving force behind a lot of the characters' interactions and, and uh, decision-making. And when Max does get this job and and comes up with a, a fake profile, which was interesting, is that the, the company allows him to create what the profile is, and he comes up with the name Adam, and he picks a, a completely, like, AI created white guy um, profile picture, and um, which is not what Max looks like, and it's and yet he becomes the most popular profile on the app. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when Eva goes basically undercover um, as Andy, uh, she uses the name Andy on the app. And they get matched together without knowing, you know, that they that they are connected in the real world. And, and that's what makes it so clever. And, and like, when are they going to find out? Who's going to find out first? Um, yeah, you know, it's, if you... it's definitely a trope in, in rom-coms that I needed to keep. Because, again, I am referencing some of my favorite people that have created this kind of content. Like Nora Ephron, Nancy Myers. um, Jennifer Caton Robinson is probably my most direct influence. Um, she did this Netflix original film a couple of years ago called uh, Someone Great, which after seeing that, it actually, uh, I changed some significant aspects of the story because of that movie. Um, <clears throat> but so the, the way the company works is that, you know, having to design a company from the ground up um, when it comes to uh, privacy and protecting users' privacy um, it took a while to kind of design something that to me seemed realistic. And the most realistic thing is that everybody's identities need to be protected. And how do you do that? So the best thing is to provide a level of anonymity for both the user and the employee. Um, because the first thing I thought of is that if I didn't create those fail safes, it's quite possible in the worst case scenario that someone working at the company might fall in love with someone that they're helping and then stalk them. So I thought, well, how can I prevent that very scenario? And I came across this website a couple of years ago where there, it was just a basically refresh page of selfies. And this, the disclaimer said that the selfies that I was looking at were an amalgamation and composite of thousands of people's selfies. So the faces I was looking at weren't actually real people. And it was startling because I thought I was looking at real people and I thought, okay, that's a level of anonymity and protection. Um, anybody going in either for the, working for the company or using the service as, as a user, uh, automatically get fake names. Um, so it's just kind of this protection, but also it plays to the hand of this rom-com trope of, you know, they meet under these essentially false pretenses and, and what happens when that, that, um, sort of like white lie gets revealed and how do they uh, reconcile it? So when it came to plotting out, um, because I read it all in as one big story, did you do it by issues? Um, or did you... I was, uh, Elizabeth and I always thought about, or always wanted to be a graphic novel and I tend to just write things as chapters. So I kind of broke it down into five 20 page chapters. Okay. So do, 
in your outline or in your page breakdowns, how did you decide where the reveal would be about them discovering each other? Um, that was kind of, that was definitely in the outlining phase with my process. It's like, I will come up with essentially a log line and that's the, 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 the litmus test with the log line is if I can come up with a catchy enough log line that I could say in one or two sentences, is there enough story that I can create that supports this log line? And more often than not, I'm embarrassed to say that I usually cannot expand upon a lot of log lines I come up with. So to me, those don't really have legs and they can't move. But fortunately for this um, story, I was able to really quickly come up with, and stuff started to flow pretty quickly. And it was not too difficult because I had so much um, material in front of me that I, I've watched and poured over and adored for years. So I had a lot of great inspiration but I wanted to specifically not focus on the things that I see in a lot of rom-coms. And when that reveal happened actually wasn't too important to me because the movies that I love, the, the problem I have with them is that the whole story hinges on that reveal and you're just waiting for that reveal. And I kind of wanted to de-emphasize it. And I, and I also wanted to de-emphasize the idea of what romance means because these movies really do focus on the the both ends of the romantic spectrum, which is the honeymoon phase and then the we're mature people, we've known each other a while and we can work through a problem. There's a lot that happens between those two points in a relationship. And the problem I have with rom-coms is that they they condense it. So it it really, you have to suspend disbelief and think this is just fiction. The great thing about Jennifer Caton Robinson, someone great, is that she went in a completely different direction with it. And she wasn't talking about a story about two people falling in love. She told a story about how a person survives falling out of love. And she used New York City as the backdrop. Um, She represented the city beautifully, which was also really made me decide to recreate the Brooklyn that I miss. Um, And yeah, so it was really that. I wanted to focus on not the romance itself, but... How did two people navigating a world where everyone, where society is expecting us to fall in love and these people just want to, to be independent and, and, and live their own lives? Um, so that was kind of the focus. So without actually saying it in the script anywhere, is Eva, would she be on the, the ace side of sexual uh, orientation? That's a really good question. Um, I hadn't ever really considered that. And some uh, people have asked me that. And to be quite honest, I never really considered it. Um, But I can, looking back on it in retrospect, I could see that that's certainly a possibility. Um, And I think that some people, reviews I've read or or questions people have asked me, I think a couple of people assume that Eva was possibly gay because of her friend Katie, where she hangs out. She hangs out at, at a very queer bar. Um, and I hadn't really thought of that either. I was just, I wanted to make a very real best gay best friend, but I didn't want to make them kind of a, a trope. And I wanted Katie to have a real life and a real personality and real thoughts and not just be essentially the comic relief. Um, so yeah, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I hope that answered the question. Yeah, no. And it's, you know, and it's great that it's, open to interpretation that way Uh, because you know like they're living part of their lives in this fake artificial 
world and and part of what people go through in real life is what are they allowed to be real about and what do you know what do they have to hide from their families and uh, so you just you know it's just kind of interesting that that with Eva it it seemed that it could have been different ways and and with Max and his relationships I did want to specifically talk about this because um not only was is Max's marriage um interracial and it's breaking up and it's horrible <laughs> his, his <laughs> marriage is just it's horrible um but you even have in there that Max is the victim and I want to put this out there just so that people aren't shocked by it that um he is the victim of domestic abuse from this woman yeah um so I you know I wanted to to find out what made you decide to put that in there in his background and who he is as a person? That's a great question. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that people are recognizing that component to the story. Um, Elizabeth and I were working on this story many, many years ago. And uh, the original iteration was a very light uh, rom-com and it was very condensed, a very condensed version of what, what we ended up creating. And it did involve two white people. So, this was back in 20, I think 2015 or 2016, we started talking about it. And in 2017, I decided that I was done writing white male cis protagonists. So as an Asian American person, as, as a non-binary person, I realized that I have an opportunity to, to tell my own story. And so in 2017, I decided to just weave in my own personal experiences uh, into my stories. And, and one of them was, I was in a, a, a physically and emotionally abusive marriage for about three years. Uh, and it didn't really occur to me to include this in a story. Cause I thought, Hey, who wants to read about that? B it kind of goes against the lightheartedness of a rom-com, but again, being emboldened by what Jennifer Kate Robinson had created with someone great. I thought there's no way that, Robinson hasn't gone through some aspects of what she wrote about. And then it made me realize that I want to, I want to write about this experience because if I'm not going to talk about the, the fuzzy, warm feeling of love, I'm going to talk about everything that exists outside of that. And that includes, you know, terrible re relationships, breakups, um, domestic violence. And, uh, it was difficult to write, um, because I didn't want to be too heavy handed with it, which, it could have been, it could have overtaken the story for sure. Um, but I, I thought it was important to raise some awareness or at least visibility that, you know, men or people who identify as male can definitely be abused. Uh, and the stigmas around that are very different than when it comes to abuse and violence against women. Uh, for me personally, when I started opening up about it to mutual friends who know my ex-wife, a lot of them didn't believe me. And it was one of these things that I just had to kind of accept like, oh, yeah, because they said she has a temper. I've never seen it. Or, well, I mean, how hard can she hit? So it was one of those things that I thought I, ha I have to tell this because it puts men or male people in this precarious position where, you know, society says, oh, walk it off. Like you're you're technically stronger than this person so ergo you can't be hurt by them um but yeah I, I felt that it was important i thought it would 
it was a gamble. I thought that putting it in that in the virtually yours, I thought people were, were going to either really resonate with it or go, Whoa, this is this is awful." And I was willing to take that chance because when it comes to writing, I tend to try to lean into the things that <clears throat> make me very uncomfortable. You know, that makes sense. That's um, it's something that even like the other part of my life is yoga. And there's, you know, there's this old uh, bit of advice that the posture you hate to do the most is the one you need to do the most because it's, you're supposed to be uncomfortable. You're supposed to find growth. And, um, and when it comes to our real conversations about race and uh, all of the awfulness going on, um, it, they're not comfortable conversations. Like, that's the bottom line. You're supposed to be uncomfortable. I know, like, a lot of people don't want to talk about politics because, oh, it's mm-hmm. too uncomfortable. And you <laughs> get mad at everybody and there's a shouting match at the family dinner. And it's like, okay, but the only way to grow is that you have to address what a problem is. And, you know, and, and specifically in virtually yours, um, like I said, Max is a man of color. So it's there's always been this exoticism and fetishization um of you know white women with black men and vice versa and you're asian so you probably have faced your own um, oh, yeah. you Definitely. know fetishizations with it you know you've got this gorgeous hair by the way and (laughs) (laughs) jeremy's hair is always spotless (laughs) perfect um so uh there's you know there's there's it's just one of those things where it's like here i am like this middle-aged white woman and it's like oh my god it's like how many things have i done that are like uh, just the good intentions and and just totally fuck everything up. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, you know, when I wrote the story originally, I, it was actually kind of difficult to write because both characters were white. And the moment that I decided to revise it um, and update all the characters and uh, all these doors opened up. And, and something that really helped me was... The, uh, an early draft of, of what has been published, an early draft of it, I sent to my, my editor, uh, Mark Irwin, uh, who, who was the editor on, on the Houdini books and Skip to the End and Skinned, um, and he read it, and I was pitching it to him, and he ended up passing on it, but he said that he really liked some of the core elements, but something that he realizes I tend to do in my stories is I tend to not let anything happen to my, my characters. And he's like, you just, you got to fuck them up. You got to fuck them up. Like, mm-hmm. you just have to let that happen. And and I looked back on the draft I had sent him and I was like, they're always, all of them were just so close. Like Eva and Max were so close to actual disaster or failure in their personal lives. But I always reeled them back in and I saved them. And he's like, you, you got to let them fall. They have to hit that pavement. And the and the reader needs to feel that because otherwise it's like, it's it's just too convenient. So that was a really, really important note that I got, and it really helped change a lot of the stories. And that's was actually a push to to include the domestic violence. It was a push to, you know, have Eva kind of 
make these hard decisions with her job and that, yeah, everything's going great, but it's not going to, she has to make a decision about, you know, what is important to her. And this story is really about the, the, the value of friendship. And uh, that was definitely the focal point when, um, when I got to the, the draft that got published. I think though, having the amount of, of diversity and more, much more focus on marginalized communities makes the story so strong. Um, especially like you said, there's pressure from, from families. There's, um, you know, Max seems very isolated because he's upset with his parents. Uh, so, and it's the exact opposite for Eva where she's surrounded by family, but there's all this pressure. So it, it, I loved, uh, the struggle that Eva went through as a writer and finding a job. Like I'm not an actor, so I can't relate as much to Max and his struggle for a job. But at the same time, it's still like, sometimes you just got to take the job that is presented right? and, you know, and you can just keep looking and keep finding a way. And so Max is great at what he ends up doing. Eva's great at what she ends up doing as this columnist, um, I did, by the way, complete, complete applause, standing ovation here for how you handled the the manager telling Eva, well, we're calling you a staff writer, but yeah. it's really permanent freelance. So, <laughs> you, don't, you know, it's like, oh, my God, that's exactly what it is. It's, yep. you're, ne- you're never an employee. It's all a gig. You have to hustle. And yet you still work as an employee. It's ridiculous. It is. And I, I like that um, I, I paid very close attention to both characters as far as who they are and what their skill sets are. And even though they're kind of thrown for sort of a loop as far as employment, they never actually veer away from who they are as both an actor for Max and a writer for Eva. And they still are able to let themselves shine and they adapt. And um, that's something that I wanted to make very clear that, um, you know, they weren't losing themselves in a job per se, but they were actually, it was helping them kind of return or, or, uh, exude what, what's always been there for, for both of them as far as, um, their talents. Yeah. And that's, you know, the way that Eva takes it, she's like, well, this is my assignment, but I'm just going to see if what I have to pitch is allowed or not. And, you know, you don't know if you don't ask. Yeah. So she's got this strong enough personality in her because she could have just been a little wallflower and just done exactly what she was told. But instead, she has a, a voice and she has some confidence, even as a young person, to say, well, I had this other idea. Um, and, you know, her manager could have been the one to just like shoot it down or she could have said, all right, let's see what you got. So, um you know, Max gets a lot of freedom in a way in, in his job, but he's still, like I said, he's still got this sort of acting persona. And then by the end of Max's character development, he, you know, he gets to wonder like, Hey, maybe there's this acting part out there that I do want. Um, and I'll tell my agent about it. So we'll see. We'll see if that's still there. Yeah. Um, and I love that I was able to 
I always wanted to feature Bergen Street Comics. I didn't know to what extent, and it was fun to uh, live vicariously, literally by by putting myself into the book. Uh, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. It was such a cool little thing to, it, you know, you got you got to be there with Alex and yeah, you know, in the book yeah. signing. So I did this book for anyone who doesn't know. I, I, my first published book is is entitled Southern Dog, uh, and it's basically Team Wolf set in the Deep South um, during Obama's inauguration. So I had the book um, come out in 2012. I wanted to try to do a signing for the first issue. And I talked to Tom at Bergen street about it and it just didn't end up working out. So, um, I knew I wanted to have a signing there because something else I wanted to feature was a big component to what I loved about living in Brooklyn was this comic book shop because it was so inclusive. It had such wonderful programming and, and, and Tom and Amy, the couple that, that owned it, uh, created such a wonderful community of artists and it's how I met, you know, I, I got to meet um, Bob Fingerman, who's a, is a very uh, well-known cartoonist uh, and I've become friends. He's been, he's now a lifelong friend. Um, I got to spend like almost 30 minutes getting kind of a critique from Jeff Johns when he came in for, for an event and he was super gracious and I was nobody at that point. And he, he spent 30 minutes looking at a pitch I had with some completed art and he gave me a ton of notes and it was, it was really, really great. And so I wanted to feature Bergen Street Comics, but I also wanted to feature the community that that shop had, had um, fostered and created. So I knew there was going to be a sign in. I just didn't know who. So initially I was thinking of all sorts of my, like I wanted to include all my friends, like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe my friend Teeny will have a sign in here. Or maybe my friend Ed or maybe my friend Curtis, like one of them. Um, and then I thought, you know what? I always wanted to do a signing here. So why can't I just be the one doing the signing here? And uh, Alex agreed to be in it. I, I wanted to make sure I got his consent. And something that Elizabeth went 10,000 steps above and beyond was that in the signing, if you look on the walls, the framed art or actual pages from the book, which is totally cool. something that, that would be in a, a book signing that, that I'd want to be at. And, uh, and she threw in so many Easter eggs as far as uh, mutual friends or even her own friends that she knows in the industry. And, and so it's been fun for them to catch themselves in the crowd scenes at that book signing. Um, so, yeah, I, I wanted to do that. And, and also it was a great way to kind of let myself have Max lean into his profound love for comic books. And that's how I, I kind of existed for many years living in Brooklyn. I just would go to my day job as a, as a genius at, at Apple. And then I would just read comics in my free time and write them. And it was just such a wonderful time in my life creatively is, or at least wake awakening my creative mind. And, um, because I shut it off for, for many years and to have Max kind of be so into comics and that it actually is kind of causing conflict in his marriage. And because he really just spends all day reading comics. Um, to bring it full circle where my book essentially in the story gets adapted into like a TV show. And then, and it's his favorite comic book series. So he wants to try to, it gets him off his ass thinking like, maybe I can act again. Um, and it, that's been funny because there have been so many people that have asked me, is this like a low key flex? Like did Southern dog get optioned? <laughs> 
I was like, yeah. no, no. I That's what I was going to ask. I, I was going to ask. I was like, ooh, maybe this is his way of like putting it out there. <laughs> that would be so rad and so cool. But sadly, no, that's not the situation. But it, it's it, a nice little part in there where it's like, well, comic book Jeremy and Alex have this awesome thing going on and they're not the main characters, but it's so cool. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was it, it was just a real joy. I mean, I, I wrote that after like getting all these notes and doing the revisions, I, I kind of like started over. Uh, I had maybe like half the first chapter written after all these notes. And then, um, you know, Comixology was on board and, and I wanted to give Elizabeth ample time to get this done because I, I know that this was a very daunting thing for her because this would be her first full full length book. Um, and I know I know exactly how much detail she puts into every single panel. So for me, though, I I, I gave myself this crazy deadline. I said to to Kongsology, I was like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll get this. I'll get you the manuscript in six weeks." And they're like, "Great." And then I I just started writing it, and I was like, "What have I done? Why why have I why have I?" And I just thought the sooner I get this done, the sooner I, I finish it, the sooner Elizabeth can start working on it because I knew it was gonna it was gonna be a while before all of it was going to be done. And really, I just, I kind of wanted to see it sooner than later, but um, I'm still pretty proud of what I was able to, to write in six weeks. So you then, so you basically pitched it on, on spec first, like you had your synopsis and, and all, and you didn't have the script. Well, no, actually the, the genesis of this is at least the genesis of the, of landing at a comicsology. Um, it was originally uh, going to be a part of um, Rosie Press's Fresh Romance Anthology. Oh, okay. So that's yeah. back a ways. Yeah. Back a ways. So I was pitching ideas to, to Janelle Aslan, and uh, that was the one she gravitated towards. The version that I pitched her was very, very watered down to what is what is published now, but she really liked it. And I was supposed to be the first, at the time, the first male contributor to the anthology and things changed you know sold uh, the, the publisher and the new publisher want, wanted me to revise it because they're like we don't want a 40 page story we want like a one to 200 page story and it's like oh okay i don't know if i can do this but i'll try and then a very very early version of what has been published is what i drafted as far as an outline and but we did have actually 10 pages of completed art because we were ready to have our first 10 page chapter published, which never happened. So Elizabeth did do 10 pages of art, which I used subsequently for pitching it. Um, but the second publisher <clears throat> liked it, but they, they wanted me to, from what I gathered, it seemed like they wanted me to write a dissertation on dating, like get really into the nuts and bolts of why people date. And I was like, I don't know if I'm equipped to write that, nor do I have any interest. I just wanted to write a like a light rom-com. And then again, notes from my editor, Mark, and then uh, several rounds of revisions. Um, when I sent it to Comixology for review, um, I sent them the more or less uh, revised outline that I used a script from and the, the art. And it really, they liked the story, but man, were they blown away by the art. They were like, we need to be in business. Like this is this is special. It's like, I'm, I'm glad you guys agree. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, 
it's definitely a whole different ballgame when you see the visuals. Were they um, were they lettered at that point? They weren't actually. So I didn't even they didn't even know what was actually happening in the original pitch pages or the original pitch pitched art. Um, I mean, with the way I write in my process, my goal is if I send a script to an artist, um, theoretically, they should be able to know what's happening without any dialogue because I, I script the dialogue at the very last of my process. So it's made me a better writer, I think. So based on that, the the art had no lettering, but because I was able to write a script that Elizabeth understood completely, it was very clear what was happening on every single page. That's absolutely wild. I love it. And I, I mean, I do love the lettering and the job that Adam did. Um, and I say that because I've seen some bad lettering and, uh, yeah. I <laughs> and I know it's a job I can't do. It's, <laughs> you know, I've, I, I haven't the foggiest idea of how, how they actually technically do the lettering. Um, but it's, you know, again, the, the fact that that it was such an easy, enjoyable read. And I didn't struggle because a lot of times I'm the type of person who can struggle not only reading novels, but I can struggle reading comics where I can't figure out what order the damn balloons are supposed to be in or the panels are supposed to be in. It's like, do I go, you know, top left down, top left over to top right. And, you know, it's, it, sometimes it's just not clear. So yeah. that's how I that's how I knew that Adam did a fantastic job because I didn't I wouldn't have anything to bitch about. Reading, reading yeah, it, this. like this is easily the most revised book uh, I've worked on in the sense that um, I had hired uh, an editor, Kat Vendetti, who's great, but uh, a friend of mine. Um, my friend sees, so she um, read it and she really loved it, but she's, she's also a technical writer. And so she's a proofreader and she caught quite a few errors. And, and she explained to me that, you know, editors will miss, I think she said like 20 or 30% of, of typos. And that's why there are proofreaders. And even there, two or three proofreaders are required. I was like, what? So she caught them. And then I sent the book out for review, advanced review copies, and and one of the reviewers caught a typo, and I was like, oh my god! But fortunately, because it's all digital, making those changes was in our favor, and we could change them almost up to the last minute. Um, and as far as uh, Adam's lettering, like he he was just just so great to work with because I kept having to go back to him and say, hey, this this panel, this 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 balloon, or this and this, and I just to me I felt very nitpicky, but he was super great. He's like, no, let's do this. We got, if we're going to do it, let's do it right. And um, something that I'll give full credit to uh, Comixology is that they, uh, as a, I don't know how this happened, but Will Dennis, who is an editor I've adored for many years for a lot of the, for some significant books to my own creative love for the medium uh, through Vertigo, he was a you know, prominent editor of Vertigo. He read it and gave some, and he's a master at, as an editor regarding lettering and he gave some really, really good notes. And I was concerned because this was after so many rounds of revisions that Adam had already done, but Adam's response, and this is what makes a a consummate professional was he said, 
I'm getting a free education from a masterclass editor. Like, this is amazing. Like, I, I'm thanking you for this. Like, I don't care how much more work I now have. This is great. And that's why I continue to work with them. And that's why I continue to foster relationships with, with creators, artists that, that have that kind of mentality. And uh, he took it in stride. And the book is better for, for Adam's um, resilience and uh, Will's input and Comixology's um, willingness and interest in making it as best as it could be. I love that um, that there are opportunities like this. Obviously, 2020 is a very different year. Um, in in the story of virtually yours, there's people's you know there's the whole story arc of their online lives, and then as you talked about the importance of places like Beauty Bar and Bergen Street and their home lives, um, you know we as consumers of entertainment need to be really really grateful that there's stuff like this out there to keep our brains occupied and going and you know and it's really hard for me to not be in the comic shop no you know every day no less every Wednesday but um you know I my friends have been online friends now for quite a long time. Um, I don't, I haven't even really gone to conventions for the last couple of years just because they got so crazy and so big. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's a different, you know, you, ta- you have been working on this one story and revisited it and, you know, you put stuff aside and you get back to it and all, but you've, you know, virtually yours has literally seen a whole life cycle of how comics are made. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and it's been a really fun uh, reflection on, on the, the COVID era, the quarantine era of what it means to, to live virtually. Um, and I've stopped going to conventions for the same reasons you just listed. Like they just get too crazy and it's, it all feels very impersonal. Um, and I miss doing the things that these characters do in this book, like they just go and see their friend at a bar or go hang out with a friend at a bar or go to a ax throwing place or just anything really um, without the fear of catching some life threatening virus. Um, And specifically with like the dating, I think, you know, I I was doing online dating this year and it's, completely different than, than other years that I've done it. And I, and this is going to date myself, but like I've been doing online dating since like 2005. I was doing it at a time when I remember it was, there was still a stigma towards it. Right. So d- doing it now has been really interesting because these apps have created new opportunities to connect where they've created like video and voice features. Um, because they, they're seeing that most people are just doing video conferencing. Um, and no one's going out and this is a safe way to do it. And, you know, having a zoom date is a thing. I've, I've been on a handful of them and like watching a movie with a date via zoom is now the new normal. And it's kind of wild. And it makes me realize I didn't really appreciate the in-personness, the, the giving my friend a hug kind of thing, or, you know, just physical touch really. Yeah, it's 
I, I know people who it's it's interesting because I know people who have gotten married from back when, um, you know, like before Twitter, you know, oh, yeah. it was, you know, it was still online dating was very, you know, very much in its infancy or you met in like a World of Warcraft uh, room or something like that, you know, and and how it's <laughs> <laughs> seriously wild. And it's like, wow, that's good. Cool. Um, uh it's like our whole lives are just so different and I'm a person that's cut out for that because I'm okay being a hermit. Okay. <laughs> um, but that's because <laughs> of my, that's because of my support system. I have people who, who are willing to do things for me, like leave the house. Yeah. Um, the support the support system has changed in a way like, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's changed in some fundamental ways, which is taking me time to, um, kind of acclimate and even though we've been in this for I don't know, six seven eight months uh it's still i haven't i don't think i've fully acclimated to it yeah i noticed that that um the day that we are happen to be recording this would actually be new york comic-con that's correct yeah so um there are virtual things going on. I guess you could uh log in and, and see panels and stuff like that i i noticed that with um uh, one of the other conventions and it was really cool because I got to watch a supernatural panel and it's like, I probably wouldn't even have made it into that room because you got to stand in line for so many hours. Oh, to, that's really you know. interesting. Yeah. Oh, so it's I, like, I actually got to see things. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Like, yeah. I, I stopped. I don't know. It's, it's something that I've been trying to reconnect with this past year is just getting back to a, a sense of, wonder and joy and like writing this story which i i finished i mean i wrote this i finished this story last year last spring um and i was having a conversation with with a good friend of mine last night who's a, a very talented illustrator comic book artist uh dave cole i'd say you guys should all watch out for him because he's got big things coming but um he lives in new york lives in queens and um he was just telling me he's just doing him he's just getting back to the things he loves which right now are like 80s 90s uh marvel comics and it's inspiring him to create his, create more comics and and that's something i've been trying to find is to find the joy and like i i remember loving going to conventions and going to panels and i stopped i stopped going to panels like 5 years ago i don't i haven't been to a panel in 5 years unless i've yeah, been on it yeah i know it's, and it's like unless different. you're on it yeah yeah and, absolutely and, and I want to, I want to find that wonder and joy again. And it's been, re it's been a real struggle because I haven't quite found it. And I don't have a comic book shop to go to. I haven't read a comic in forever. I think I've just, I just finished reading um, Sweeney Boo's latest one, which I adored. Um, and I'm reading Adrian Tomine's, uh latest one, which is just a joy, but those are things I kind of had to get like, Oh, I should read these. I like both these creators. I should read these. And it's not the same as when I was like, I couldn't stop buying comics, but because I don't have my shop it, and I live in, you know, this tiny town in Vermont, uh, it's been in a lot of ways isolating and, and uh, that's, you know, made it difficult to kind of be inspired, I guess. Yeah. And I can remember being asked years ago, um, no less I was asked on camera 
when would I stop cosplaying? And I was like, never, this is a blast. I'm having the time (laughs) of my life. And, you know, and I'm never going to stop going to conventions. That's where my friends are. Why would I ever stop that? And then, you know, like a few years ago, like the burnout hit hard. Yeah. I was like, I was like, all right, um, you know, it's, uh, either it's a young person's game and I'm not feeling it anymore or something, something shifted. Um, you know, and I do still love going. I love taking pictures and I love seeing everybody. Uh, it, it's just, I prefer something smaller. Like we have our own little, you know, small, medium sized things here in Jersey. So, you know, where I, I, it doesn't take me a half an hour to stand in line to you know, see an old comic creator friend of mine. Like, you know, right. I can just go up and like, Hey, Jamal, how are you? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely changed. And, and, and I'm trying to be kinder to myself. That's, that's the, the struggle right now for me is just to be kinder on myself and realize like not everything needs to change right away. And that, you know, doing little things can be helpful, even if they don't feel like it in the moment. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm just I'm just really appreciative of all the, the positive responses. Um, virtually yours has received. I've definitely I made the mistake of going on to Goodreads and reading the, the reviews. Oh. There. It, it's crazy how vicious Goodreads reviewers are. Like it's it's shocking. And I yeah, I was like. Yeah, I was like, wow, this was a <laughs> this was a big mistake. But I did read a couple that were just like I, I almost was like, there's no way you feel this way about this book. Like like this person was like, if I could give this book fifty stars, I would. I was like, no way. Yes, but, really. Yeah. So Yes, yes, really. And that's the thing, is like I get to I, I sort of um once I started creating more publicly, I there was definitely a shift in my reviews. Whereas I had a much more um, like sterile laboratory type approach to reviews. Like, yeah, it was good to me. Three stars meant, yeah, good. Mm-hmm. But five stars was, yeah, you've blew my friggin' mind. And it's like, do not ever give less than five stars unless you mean to tank the the average and, you know, bury this somewhere that nobody ever buys it. <laughs> so... I've learned, I've learned. It's like, you have to, you have to really hit five stars. And then if you're going to write something, then it's okay. I mean, nothing's perfect. So you can easily tackle like if something had a, had a problematic plot point, go for it. Yeah. 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 I think that the one thing that, and I know like I'm, as a creative person, nothing's ever going to be perfect. I know I'm always going to look back on something I've created and go, Oh, I wish I had done this instead. Um, and yeah, I even see that with virtually yours, even with, with how, how well it was, um, assembled, um, which is just part of the process. And it's, you know, if I, I I think I would have real concern if I finished something and then like a year later or six months later or six weeks later, I look at it and go, this is still amazing. Like, I think I might quit after that (laughs) because I I always want to be learning. I always want to be getting better because that's part of the process that's really an integral part of why I sit in a chair for X amount of hours writing because I want to keep getting better. Absolutely. So um, before I let you go, though, I know that you had you had just sort of run through a couple things that have piqued your interest. Um, so let's just review things that you've liked this year. Um, 
things that you do find inspiring? Could be comics, novels, movies, whatever you got. Sure. Um, I was very inspired. Oh, man. I wish I had written some of this stuff down because I'm drawing a blank right now. I know. Um, I keep a spreadsheet. Man, I do. I keep a spreadsheet for this reason. <laughs> like, oh, man. I feel like there were a couple shows. Oh, there was a show called Devs on Hulu that is Alex Garland's latest series. And it was just mind-bendingly amazing. Um, for anyone who doesn't know who this is, uh, I would recommend watching Ex Machina, which is a film he did with Oscar Isaac, uh, which is incredible. And as someone who's currently in working in or a, a new series I'm doing that's in production is, is an AI story. So Ex Machina was definitely... Um, it expanded my mind as far as where an AI story can go. Um, but his latest one, Devs, takes it further into the realm of quantum computing. And it's it's masterclass. Like, this is a type of show that everything was, I hate to admit this, but everything was perfect. Like, the score, the acting, the, the set design, the the locations, the pacing, the scripts. Like, everything was perfectly placed, which is kind of, it kind of goes with the narrative of the story once you watch it. And it's a real fun thriller. Um, and I've been thinking about that show for a long time since I saw it um, earlier this year. Um, I've not been doing a lot of reading, unfortunately. Um, I typically can maybe read a novel in a week and I just not had the mental headspace, but I guess things that I'm really enjoying now is just finding some uh, things that, that make me a bit more grounded. So like, I haven't quite done yoga yet, but I've been doing daily stretching, which has been so great. Um, doing some guided meditation has been great. Mindful meditation has been great. Um, and just kind of working on myself because, you know, something that I, I uh, included in Virtually Yours with the domestic abuse is you know, kind of goes hand in hand with the the harder truth that, you know, there's a lot of um, unresolved trauma that I have that I've been working through, um, which has been challenging in the era of COVID because it's it can be very isolating in and of itself. And it's more so pronounced because I'm living in an apartment by myself and I'm living by myself for the first time in my entire life. So that's been a, a jarring shift to not have roommates of any kind. Um, but yeah, those things have been really been great and, and seeing friends when I can like doing the social distance thing has been truly a lifesaver for me um but yeah those are some of the things oh and I guess Animal Crossing Animal Crossing has been really great too I've been really enjoying <laughs> Animal Crossing that's really <laughs> been uh, a, a bright spot uh for me that's cool I've I've done a lot of uh comfort things so like I'm re-watching The Mentalist Oh, um, um, you know, and then just about every night to go to sleep, it'll either be like, I'll throw Bob's Burgers or Psych on. Yeah, like Bob's Burgers or Seinfeld. I've been watching Seinfeld. And I recommend if anyone is into Seinfeld, I know some people hate that show. But if you're into it, I would recommend rewatching it because the George Costanza character and Elaine Bennis character are fascinating to watch through the lens of the, the Me Too movement. Um because George is, it, he is equal parts incel, men's rights activist, and pickup artist. And it's 
great to watch Elaine shut him down constantly. But at the time, in the 90s, it was funny. The George character was hilarious, and now it's so cringeworthy, but I can't stop <laughs> watching it. And it's like, wow. So, yeah, anybody who wants to kind of go back and watch that, you will be surprised because George is either – he exudes one, two, or all three things simultaneously in just about any scene he's in. Um, and it's amazing to think about the Elaine character because this is, you know, early 90s, and I haven't really seen a show since where – you know, in a, in a sitcom anyway, where she's an independent woman, she's hanging out with only men. She has no interest in starting a family. She has no interest in tying herself to a relationship and she doesn't take shit from anybody. And it's like, and she's all about her career. And it's like, I haven't really seen a character like that in a, in a comedic sitcom since. And it's like, she was, you know, really, really uh, was ahead of, ahead of its time, I think. Yeah. And, um, yeah, because there were some things like in the 80s that had women like that, but they were always, they always made them like cold women. Yeah. You know, um, what was it? Was it Baby Boom, I think, with Diane Keaton? Mm. I just remember loving that movie because it's a very fish out of water movie. Um, but it always, it always seemed to have like this unlikability or something about the women instead. Uh, yeah, and she's not, know. and she's very likable, and she's very yeah. funny. And, you know, she, this episode I, I fell asleep to last night was she's talking about this coworker she has who's played by um, Molly Shannon, who's like psychotic. And it's funny because she used, because Molly Shannon is a voice in Bob's Burgers. In Bob's Burgers. And, and, but she's a psychotic. And so when Elaine is playing back this recording she has from her, her uh, messages where the Molly Shannon character is like literally threatening to stalk her. I was like, God, that's like taking me right to Bob's Burgers. But also, as she's telling people, they're all going, ooh, catfight. And she's like, it's as if she's like living in this alternate reality where no one's like a person. They're all just, as soon as they hear two two women having conflict, they're like catfight. And it's funny, but it's like even more amazing that she's just like, you all are idiots. Like, this is a problem. Like, this person is psychotic, toxic, and is threatening my safety. And they're like, ooh, catfight. And it's just like... It, it's clearly the, the the episode was written by men, but to have this character just not give into it and just go, you all are being assholes. It's <laughs> really, really refreshing to watch. Um, comic wise, I've come across some, some fun, enjoyable reads this yeah. year. Um, I can sell you a body uh, was by Ryan Ferrier and George. Oh, Combadeus. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I loved it. Um, it's it's like such a weird little story. Um, he's you know where there's this kind of like unlikable shitty main character, Denny Little. He's like down on his luck. He's um, he's like this TV psychic, you know. <laughs> but the thing is, what's funny about it is that he's a real medium, like kind of coming off as like a fake shitty psychic it's really weird really and oh. yeah it's so it's so good and then of course he ends up um getting involved with like you know he owes the mafia a favor and he owes somebody a body like the idea is that you can he can help you transfer your soul into another living body so as you're you know you're dying yeah yeah um so that's what i can sell you a body is for a fee he will move you into into a healthy living body and it's it was so clever um i it was just 
it, to uh, me, that was like an, an uplifting one. And then the exact opposite of that was Kill Lock, which is an AI story that has oh. so much emotion. And I'm like, okay. I'm, I'm like, I'm usually not like that into, you know, robot type things. And I'm like, I'm like, this is like these four AI robots come together. They're linked. That's like their punishment. Um, when it's sort of like Dante's Inferno, where there are different levels of punishment. Mm-hmm. So to link together um, these robots, one of them is even an innocent. It was made with a mistake and oh. it, it can't go into production. So it's basically like a child and linked to these other like three awful, you know, like one's like a serial killer and one, you know, type, what? type robot. Amazing. Yeah, that was from IDW. Okay. Um, Livio Romandelli and Tom Long. So okay. the kill, the kill lock. So again, I was like, I I read through like four issues, and then I had to wait for like five and six to come out. And I remember tweeting like, "Oh my god, what's going to happen? Oh my god!" And like Livio would write back, and he's like, "Oh, I'm so glad you like it. Oh, wait till you see. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, don't tell me." So it was those out. Um, yeah, I'm 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 good friends with Ryan Ferrier, and I, I I I'm so sorry, Ryan, if you're listening to this because I know he sent me advanced review copies of that book and i just i've gotten inundated with friends arcs that they send me that i just i literally have a folder two folders for arcs that says read and to read and Uh the to read is a massive collection of advanced reviews i've not looked at and so but that sounds amazing i'm going to definitely give that a read um because i probably have all of them (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that Ryan had sent me and uh the other one sounds amazing like I'm really into creative new ways to tell an AI story so yeah so um so if you like you know that kind of stuff then then those are two recommendations watching wise if you like virtually yours which I'm sure all of you have now read it and love it um see if you can still watch upload, upload. Um, the, the upload the first season that was I think I want to say Netflix Okay. Um, let me double check. Upload. No, it was on Prime. Sorry, okay. Amazon Prime. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So talking about like uh again, it's not virtual dating because the guy's dead, but his soul <laughs> is in his his soul exists in this virtual reality. So what? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that's awesome. And that's a good time because if you're an Amazon Prime member, you get virtually yours for free. See, these are great things to keep your brain from totally collapsing in on itself right now. Yeah, Upload. I'm I'm trying to think, like, is there any show that you've been watching that's, is Upload, like, serious or is it, like, lighthearted? No, light, lighthearted. Oh, lighthearted. Okay, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Which is great, because obviously it's about death, but it's lighthearted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've been... I'll, I'll, I think I'll try to watch that actually today because that sounds great. Another one that I've been wanting to watch, which I heard amazing things, is Palm Springs with Andy Samberg. Oh, like, okay. I think like a Netflix movie. It's kind of okay. like a Groundhog, Groundhog's Day scenario um, uh, that I've heard. All right. I, I wasn't sure what that was about. Okay. I love him. So Yeah, yeah. It's basically him and, and I'm forgetting the woman's name. She was the, the, main, the character at the very end in How I Met Your Mother, but... I like her a lot and um, 
it's basically they're both kind of stuck at this wedding and they keep waking up stuck at this wedding, this destination wedding. And they try to get back to their real lives, but they keep waking up at this destination wedding. They're like, what the hell is happening? Um, and I'm always a sucker for that kind of scenario. It's like a, it's like a, you know, a fun twist on a time travel tale. Yeah. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for all your time today. Um, of course. Yeah. Um, where can people follow you and find you and, and make sure that they, um, you know, learn more about what you're doing. Sure. Um, I'm only on Twitter and Instagram. Um, both are at Jeremy Holt books. Um, my website is Jeremy Holt books.com. Um, and yeah, I don't, I only post there really if there's like uh, new press out that I, I want to add to or, but Twitter and Instagram are the, are the places to be. And uh, yeah, I have a, a new series I can't really talk about that'll be out. Um, not sure yet, probably in the spring of next year. Um, and working on some other stuff. And uh, yeah, I'm check uh, check Twitter and Instagram. I usually post there. Okay, and you're still repped by Andrea Brown Agency. I am. Yep. Yep. Okay. Totally. All right. Good to know. So guys, make sure you go get virtually yours. You will love it. I can't wait to hear hear how much you love it. Um, To keep up with me, as I said, patreon.com slash Amber Unmasked is where you get the special links and passwords to the weekly cat detective stories. Otherwise, they do get unlocked after a week. And hopefully you guys will keep loving them. Um, I've book wise, uh, I don't have anything new out right now. But uh, sales were really good this past week. So the Farrah Weathers Mysteries, Misty Murder, and Bare Roots are all good things to read in the fall because I usually set my books in the fall. Um, and if you're into horror, then definitely get Misty Murder because it's total cheesy slasher. Um, and it's a, it's a, hopefully a quick read. Imagine Jessica Fletcher, um, but in a slasher movie. So okay. that's, um, so there you go. And Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Elizabeth Amber. On Instagram, mostly cat pictures, is Amber Unmasked. Everything else is at AmberUnmasked.com. So take care, Jeremy. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great. 